sort of countless examples. And then even further then, um, the devices will change. And thanks to smaller chips, um, you'll go from those AR glasses to potentially contact lenses. And you have a lot of companies already investing in having patents in contact uh, lenses like Mojo Vision or Samsung. And then beyond that, even it's going to go directly into your brain, potentially. Today's guest is David Reipert, the co-founder and CEO of Poplar, the AR studio. And we're asking just how far off Minority Reports and Ready Player One are we? This is Tech Talks. It's your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you a bit of technology news. Enjoy the show. Joining me on today's show uh, is Akish. Akish is reclined in a beautiful looking sofa in an office, not in his home. No, not not at my home. Um, yeah, and it's one of the new office office furniture installations that has happened by a lockdown. I don't know if any of our listeners have seen it, but as the offices have started to open up, we've walked back in and there's this new space for people to sit in. And um, I, I don't think it's for people, actually. I think it's for our chief exec, uh, but she's not here. Um, so if she's listened to this. Um, it's a very comfy sofa, Bev. So um, yeah, yeah. Acacia in your place, Bev. Yeah. Keeping it warm. Yeah, exactly. I'm not. I'm not taking a job. I'm just taking a sofa. <laughs> Thinking of the world getting back to normal. Did you see the ridiculous video of Tom Cruise yesterday? Uh, no, I haven't seen it. I've heard about it though. I saw. I, I saw people talking about it on Twitter. Going um, to see Tenant. <laughs> yeah, I, I I saw it on Twitter this morning, um, but I haven't seen it. Lots of people losing their shit over the lack of social distancing going on in the cinema. That's not the funny bit. There's a there's a bit in it where he's surprised that people recognise him. Like, yeah, you've got a face mask on, but you're still Tom Cruise. Yeah. It's like, it's mad. People recognise me, even with a mask on. It's like, you're pretty recognisable. You're pretty bloody famous, mate. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's like, you're Tom Cruise, for God's sake. Like, anyone would recognise him. But, Yeah. I don't know. I, he's, he's got to do what he can to get people back in cinemas, though. Let's face it, like, Tom Cruise films don't really work on home release. They don't. No. Unless it's Mission Impossible. And then yeah, even so. You might have watch that over Christmas, don't you? Literally, Which one? Probably the, all of them. One, two, three. Wasn't there a fourth one as well? Mate, I think they're up to six. Are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the only Proclation, time. Ghost Protocol, Fallout. Yeah, that's the yeah, only, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only time... I watch Mission Impossible films is is uh, Christmas. Mission Impossible and Die Hard. Quite an action action packed Christmas, isn't it? <laughs> it's a Wonderful Life, greatest Christmas film of all time. Die Hard's very close second. I do like Die Hard. Home Alone for me, Wait, to be fair. Speaking of, speak, I was about to mention. Did you see Macaulay Culkin stuck out a great tweet today? No, I haven't seen that either. Uh, no, no. I've been working uh, in the office, you, Dave. How, how? What? What? So you're not on social? No, Shut up. No. <laughs> He stuck out today going, how, how to make everyone feel old. Today, I'm 40. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Bloody hell. I'll tell you what. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Babyface 40-year-old, right? So, mm. and, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. A, a world where Macaulay Culkin is 40 is not a reality I want to be part of. But uh, talking about other realities, let's talk about Augmented reality and virtual reality, you liked that. Like it, like it, like it. <laughs> Today's guest um, is from Poplar. Uh, David is the CEO and founder of Poplar VR and AR predominantly business uh, studio. So we're going to hand over to this interview and then myself and Akish will come back with some comments and a bit of news later. 
Today, we're talking to David. David, you are the CEO and co-founder of Poplar. Thanks for joining us on the show this morning. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, David. Um, yes, what kind of day What kind of day are you having? Uh, GCSE results day. You don't have any kind of family who, who have had to get results today or anything? No, uh, I, I don't. Uh, but I'm having a good day. Uh, we're recruiting, um, seeing a lot of candidates, which, of course, is bittersweet in the current situation. But uh, yeah. yeah, everything's well. Maybe we'll come back to that once we've kind of had a chat through what you guys do and uh, make sure that people know where to go should they be interested in joining. Look, uh, just before we dive into anything else, Poplar wasn't a business I was aware of until quite recently. So could, could you take a minute just to explain exactly what you do? Sure, of course. Um, Poplar is the leading AR creative platform for marketing, advertising and retail. We've been around for two years. So essentially, we help brands, agencies, and companies uh, looking to produce augmented reality content uh, do just that in an affordable, simple, and quick way. And the way that we do that is through a large community of AR creators from around the world. We have the largest community, about 2,000 creators. Um, and so we've been doing augmented reality campaigns for top brands in luxury, fashion, music, entertainment, video games, uh, food and beverage. And we deploy AR basically on social media platforms like TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, um, all the way to mobile browsers and apps. And your background into this is, well, you've, you've got a very varied background for a start. Uh, whilst you're based in in London, you're not a Brit. I, I would <laughs> I struggle to say. You are, well, your, your accent doesn't sound like it, I'll be perfectly honest. And you spent I, a long time, it would appear in France in education. Actually, in the US, yeah, I guess everything's mixed about me. Um, on the personal side, I'm British and French, uh, but I actually spent half my life in the US um, where I started my career. And then, uh, yeah, it's a bit mixed bag as well, career-wise, although I have been in content and technology all my life. I did go from sort of traditional media into online video into um, immersive technology. Yeah, and you've worked at some of the kind of the world's biggest brands. You've worked both at Netflix and at Google. So I suppose quite interesting going from uh, kind of video content and now you're working in AR and VR. But you mentioned there you, you kind of come through traditional media. How, how has your career evolved and what, what changes have you seen over that time? Yes, there is a threat actually. But um, I was always passionate about content, maybe because I went to high school in LA and sort of was surrounded by the whole... Uh, X system, the red carpets and all of that there, the uh, the bling of, all, of it all. Um, and so I started working in production and distribution of feature films, but then quickly saw that there was a revolution coming um, in that Netflix was being born. I, I worked at Netflix in the early days, actually, and went from, you know, traditional productions of feature films that required 100 people, six to six months to years of production, hundreds of millions of dollars being in Hollywood, all the way to online video and, and, um, and Netflix. At the time, we were still doing pretty small, I'd say, documentaries and feature films and series that didn't require necessarily that amount of budget. Of course, things have changed slightly as they've grown. Um, but quickly was passionate about disruptive models. And so Netflix, it was all about subscription. Uh, you know, support to feature making. And then at YouTube, it was all about ad supported. So how do we use advertising to support content creators in uh, doing original content on, on YouTube? And you, you talked when we spoke a few days ago about the idea that the smartphone has democratized content. And we've kind of gone from this situation where I suppose there was a bit of a stranglehold uh, 
on who could create content uh, from big studios through to now where really anybody can create content, right? And then the platforms that we've now got that allows for, for short form content in very creative ways. Yeah, that's exactly right. So started with uh, Hollywood and needing the big budgets I mentioned, but also go to film school, have a lot of expensive kit and cameras and you need expensive studios they need to rent out and whatnot. And today, really, you just need your iPhone, Android phone, just do a short video, upload that yourself to YouTube or Instagram, and start racking up followers, uh, get approached by brands, and monetize, make money. So you have a lot of those influencers we always talk about now uh, that uh, you know make money out of those videos. And actually, there is a parallel there to augmented reality and yeah. immersive content, because today we are at that early stage of the industry, a little bit like we were before. Uh, with YouTube today to do augmented reality, you need to be an engineer, you need to know how to do coding or 3D modeling, come from school where you've done video games or um, graphics or other, and you need to use uh, a lot of different types of software. So it sounds complicated, but actually we are going towards democratization of AR content creation. And that's also why I was passionate about uh, creating Poplar. So when you say, you know, the, that we're moving towards a, a situation where we have AR content creation being democratized. I always imagine AR, and, and it'd be good to just kind of get you to kind of clear up how, how you see AR being used in the future and also possibly VR. I always think of AR as being useful in a business context or advertising or retail, but something that's quite practical, maybe something that's B2C. And I think of VR as being much more of an entertainment channel. Is that, un is that quite rudimentary and unfair and possibly uh, a little bit of an outdated way of looking at it? Maybe it's worth just um, really quickly clarifying what they are. So VR is all about being in a totally virtual environment. So right now you need a headset to do that. Um, Oculus Quest, for example, has been outselling on Amazon and, and others. Um, and that's you know a gaming environment usually. But some companies are starting to use VR more and more for training purposes and simulations where you can kind of recreate a virtual world in a professional capacity. On the AR side, it's still in your environment. So it's about using an additional screen like a mobile phone to overlay uh, virtual content on top of your environment. So Pokemon Go was sort of a mixed AR experience that was very popular because you could see the Pokemon appear in your environment and use a map to navigate. Um, there's been a lot of other experiences like trying furniture in your environment, like Ikea Place. Uh, we ha ourselves have done a lot of experiences with Speedo, for example, where you could try on swimming goggles virtually on your face, or we've done makeup experiences. Uh, we've done a lot of different social media type experiences. So it's a mix of professional in the sense that a lot of brands want consumers to be able to try on virtual objects, where, whether with a front camera like glasses or makeup, or uh, the back camera to place cars or furniture or other items in your environment, especially around these times where a lot of stores have been closing down even before COVID. Um, AR is quite a useful uh, tool for retail. And there's a huge entertainment factor as well. So Snapchat being one of the pioneers out there with tons and tons of audience and a lot of sort of millennials that have been using AR in stories um, to change their appearance, transform themselves and, and whatnot. So, so I suppose but, I suppose to most people listening, they wouldn't really necessarily consider a filter AR, but it is, right? Exactly, yes. It is because it's modifying the real world with uh, sort of virtual content and data, yeah. Hmm. I, and it's interesting that you kind of talk about in this period of time because it's, it's a couple of weeks ago, our television um, uh, developed a big white spot on it. So we're having a look at televisions at the minute and I kind of went on 
remember which website it was now, but they basically had an AR feature with your smartphone to allow you to place the TV in the room so you could see the size of the television in your front mm-hmm. room. Yeah, so that, um, yeah, that's the future of retail. And, and a lot of these brands are, are investing massively into AR, um, whether it's the big juggernauts out there like Apple, Google, Facebook, but also Amazon, eBay, you know, all these e-commerce sites as well are going to be uh, trying to help you out. And it helps them too because it decreases returns because you know it fits. You're not going to return that item. So in terms of, I suppose, when you're, when you're working with clients, do they have a clear do they have a clear vision of how they want to use AR? Do they even, I mean, I assume they come to you because they're thinking AR is a route to go down. This could really help us, but do they, do they have a clear understanding of how or why it might help their business? Or is that something that you have to tease out of them? Yeah, I guess there's a lot of different clients out there and a lot of different use cases. We have clients who have already been using AR extensively um, and they're looking to scale that and do a lot more. Um, I'm thinking about the L'Oreal's and other big companies out there because for them it's essential to be able to try on uh, makeup and another. Um, and so they're coming to us for scale. They want to do multiple social platforms. Um, they want to do stuff around temple events like Halloween and other, et cetera. And then the other ones that are less educated that do want experiments because they see more and more people going to social media and that's increased with COVID and lockdown, of course. So TikTok's literally exploded in terms of uh, consumption and Snapchat and Instagram also have been really big. So they know that they have to to get people where they are on social media and they have to get their attention. And so AR can be used for to raise brand awareness. And that's when brands are looking to generate a certain amount of views or impressions on a face filter or other AR experience. It could be around engagement, which is people spending more time on an experience. So it could be 30 seconds or up to minutes, which actually is performing better than video is to in certain metrics. And then you could just directly also generate purchasing. So if you could try on uh, virtu- an object virtually and then purchase directly from there, um, then that's also very useful for that brand. And what, what kind of work do you find yourself doing more often than not? Is it, is it, is it that stuff where it's engagement and brand awareness building stuff? I suppose there's there's more of a creative outlet there that might be kind of fun to play with, kind of taking a, a concept from a client and, 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 and running with it and building it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been very split beyond, between the brand awareness side and in that respect, a lot of social media filters. With uh, TikTok, we're one of the partners of TikTok, so we do a lot on there as well as Snapchat and Instagram. And then on the sort of retail side, we use web AR uh, more and more, which is essentially deploying AR directly on a mobile browser. So if you're on Safari or Chrome, you don't need to use a dedicated application. You can just use AR within your mobile browser. So it's uh, less of a challenge for people to have to download an application. And that's been really great because you can capture a lot of other metrics. So you can start asking people for their emails and get more information, get them entered into a contest and whatnot. So on top of the engagement and the experience, you also capture a lot of data. Do you, do you tend to find that you capture more data doing that, I suppose, you, than you would in a kind of a, a traditional static advertising campaign where there's an advert and there's kind of a, a call to action at the bottom asking yeah. you your details? Of course, and if you start thinking about the future a little bit more, um, people interact with that content. So to go back to my career and, and what I've done before, if you look at video, YouTube, but even TV and whatnot, it's it's been a very passive consumption of content where you're sitting back on the couch or you're sitting back behind your laptop or your phone and you're just viewing a video. The interaction will to be to like the video or to leave a comment. With AR, 
you're actually starting to wear the brand on your face or put a, a brand in your environment. Um, it captures the data on your, in, around your environment. It also captures your gaze. Potentially in the future, it will. So it'll see where you're looking, um, where you're spending the most time. And then you also click on things and interact with them. So you actually have an active relationship with the content around you. Out of interest, as, as an organization, uh, or would, would you describe yourselves as a studio is that, or, or, or a, a marketing? Uh, we're, uh, we're a platform. So we're a marketplace okay. um, because we help those brands work with content creators and we provide a lot of tools for project management on the platform. So you're focused on AR at the minute, right? Um, but do you see VR being something that you would expand into or is it is it a wholly different uh, medium that, that you kind of go, you know what, you, you either specialize in one or you specialize in the other? It's a very good question. Um, right now, we are very focused on augmented reality, specifically for marketing, advertising, and retail. I think the um, imminent expansion would be to provide more AR content creation for other uh, vertical and use cases out there, because AR is going to disrupt everything. It's going to disrupt education and, and classrooms. It's going to disrupt uh, tourism if you're doing a tour, for example, or real estate if you're previewing an apartment or, you know, enterprise training, um, military, there's a lot of use cases for that. VR is very interesting. The only big difference is the distribution. So their reach is much lesser because you do need the headsets in order to mm. use VR versus um, mobile penetration, which is already huge. And so AR is already representing about 3 billion people that have access to AR around the world. So in terms of, of reach of consumers, it's just massive. Uh, VR has a lot of potential, like I said, around gaming and as well as simulations and training um, involved with a sort of soft skills HR uh, company that does skills training. So that's also very interesting, uh, but it's very remote and different from what we do, yes. So look, um, you mentioned the future a few minutes ago. If we do kind of go forward a little bit with this, as it as these technologies become more democratized, how do you see them being used? Because, you know, it, 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 maybe less so AR, but well, actually, no, I was about to say less so AR, but you just had to think of films like or, uh, Minority Report to see how advertising mm -hmm. might work in, in AR. But VR, people might immediately think of kind of Ready Player One and films like that. There's, yeah. you know, there's there's all sorts of, of visions of how this technology might play out. What do you think is realistic in the next few years that might kind of hit the market and make people kind of stand up and take notice? Well, actually, it's interesting what you say, because I believe VR and AR will blend together. So if you think about Ready Player One, uh, the glasses they wear are non-occluded glasses. They're transparent glasses, but you can then overlay um, and occlude and do VR content on there. So actually, a lot of companies out there. So Facebook is rumored to be working also on an AR headset or mixed reality headset so that Oculus will also do AR. To some extent, they have passed through already. Um, Apple is rumored to be coming out with AR glasses around 2023. It's been delayed slightly. They are rumored to be working on both types of headsets, so AR only, but also mixed reality, where you can go between AR and VR. So I do think that in the future, things will merge together. What's really interesting in terms of device is that we have gone from big computers to laptops to smartphones, which you can take anywhere now and look for information. And the future will be that the smartphone is no longer sort of a smartphone. It's just a, a hard drive that you put in your pocket. And it's connected to the glasses that then serve information all around you contextually, wherever you're based, um, based also on your budget, on your tastes, on your activities, and those 
what you're doing. So it's going to serve all that information personalized for you. A little bit like minority reports. It's a little bit dystopian from advertisements that are catered to you that no one else will see because they'll be in your glasses um, all the way to your, you know, the bus when that's be- going to be coming or if you're touring something, it's going to provide a lot of information. So, or you're shopping in a supermarket, it's going to guide you to different sort of items that you need for a recipe and whatnot. So it's, sort of countless examples. And then even further then, um, the devices will change. And thanks to smaller chips, um, you'll go from those AR glasses to potentially contact lenses. And you have a lot of companies already investing in having patents in contact uh, lenses like Mojo Vision or Samsung. And then beyond that, even it's going to go directly into your brain potentially. And again, you have uh, Elon Musk who's talked about it, invested in that. You have Facebook who's invested in what we call brain-connected interfaces. Um, so you saw, sort of have everything already uh, neuralinked to you. So look, I, out of interest, then what you're describing there possibly sounds like the the death of the 2D screen in its current format. Um, I suppose I suppose what's out in the market at the minute is very much the preserve of early adopters. If you think of Oculus Quest and Oculus Rift and people who are kind of excited to play around with this technology, do you think it could be the the iPhone 15 that is the kind of the device that breaks through and makes this kind of mass the case for mass adoption and they just go we're not going to do a 2d screen phone it will be a hard drive and you'll have these glasses on and and you'll have kind of maybe gloves that allow you to interact with something that's in front of you right yeah exactly right i mean they there has been attempts by google of course when i was there with google glass um didn't quite work out because the content and the number of applications that were compatible was not enough so you mentioned the iphone it's exactly right the iphone revolutionized um, the phone market because of the app store, because of the breadth of content that developers were able to put out to the market. So it's all going to be about the comfort, the comfort of the glasses, the sexiness of them. You don't want to look like a you know complete fool walking around the streets. And that Apple is always sort of a precursor, and they make everything a bit mainstream when it comes out. So we're all, all counting on those Apple glasses coming out and changing the game. Uh, but it's also around the use case and the amount of content and applications that will be available to users of these glasses. I suppose there's an argument that uh, if it's kind of floating objects that you're interacting with rather than the screen, it's a bit more hygienic as well. And <laughs> many people now are wearing face masks, probably less worried about wearing glasses and looking different. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's true. And, you know, you, you go to the restaurants today, you scan QR codes instead of grabbing uh, physical menus, and then you get this sort of virtual menu on your phone. You could imagine, uh, you know, transition is not that hard that you're going to get virtual food to look at first um, and 3D models. And that's actually something we're working on already. So it's it's definitely going to change the game for a lot of use cases. Look, you mentioned at the beginning that you were looking to hire some people. Uh, are they to be based in London? Uh, we we do have people in London. That's where we're based, uh, but we're working completely remotely at the moment through yeah. Zoom. Moving yeah. with the times, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. It's, it's not stopped us. You know, we were one of the lucky startups that were able to raise money as well, right in the heart of the epidemic in uh, May, June. So we raised around $2.6 million. And we had to do a lot of these meetings through Zoom. I mean, uh, so it's it's the new normal now. And yeah. Uh, it's how we're doing interviews. I've, I have new starters that I haven't met in person yet. I'd love to meet them one day. Uh, but equally, we're working pretty well remotely. It's interesting. I asked that because it does seem a perverse question when everyone's working remotely, but everyone seems to still think that we might go back to a hybrid environment eventually. But uh, if you're saying that it doesn't really matter where they are, then that, that, 
that suggests where you think you might be going as a business, um, which is super interesting. Uh, what what kind of people are you looking to join your company? And is there a link where they could go and have a look at open vacancies? Yeah, so we're we're beefing up the sales effort, and uh, you know we're expanding internationally. So we are looking at going to different markets and hiring salespeople. Equally, we're always developing new tools on the platform for our creators and our brand clients. So we're also looking at developers and engineers. And all the information will be on our platform and websites. It's poplar.studio. Amazing. Then look, if anyone's listening and this sounds like an area they'd love to work in, then go and check that out. We'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. But apart from that, David, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, David. Great name, by the way. <laughs> have you ever tried to buy anything via AR? Because I have. I hadn't really thought about this. Mm-hmm. My my last pair of glasses that I bought, mm-hmm. uh, Specsavers had a virtual... They had an AR uh, app where you where you basically um, pointed your phone at your at your face and it put various different glasses on you, yep. which was cool, but felt a bit pointless when I was stood in the store in front of all the glasses. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Now you can't go in the stores. Brilliant. Yeah, I've bought um I've bought a car off um not I, I say bought a car but specked out a car, um so yeah. But the car that I drive now, when I bought it, um, obviously test drove it, that sort of thing. But I wanted a certain interior and see how it looks with the paint and the you know steering wheel yeah. and all these options and that sort of stuff. And obviously they can't they can't have every single model at the the, the <clears> garage <throat> and, and showroom ready for you to to kind of look at. So they bring up this thing on a massive like sixty inch, and you sit with a guy and you go, oh you know, he runs you through the options and he goes, this is, does this. And do you want this package? Do you want that? And it all kind of puts it all together. So you actually see what the car looks like, um, along with the pricing and stuff like that. So yeah, I've done that before, which is very, very cool. Were you able to like take your phone and look at stuff inside the car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. So you have a, you have an app. Um, yeah. And then you enter a code that they have in the dealership. Yeah. So once they, once they, put it all together you then go into this app and then let's say you want to see how it looks like from the um, passenger seat you, you click passenger and then you just move your phone around and it kind of shows you what it looks like so up down steering wheel side nice. doors that sort of stuff which is pretty bloody cool to be fair because it almost puts you into that spec car um, yeah. without you kind of you know actually being in it um, which is great to be honest which is very very good I mean, to be perfectly honest, I when I think about it, I you know we are beginning to use AR mm. without really thinking about it. During lockdown, I was looking at buying a new television because ours has developed a great kind of white spot yeah. just to the right hand side that makes it look like it's kind of putting a spotlight on characters and films every now and then. It's just super annoying. So we need a new television. Mm-hmm. And I went on to I think I went on to the PC World Curry's site, mm-hmm. and it gave you the option to place a TV screen in your in your living room. And it wasn't perfect. Yeah. Um, you kind of scanned your phone around your room and it kind of got the dimensions and all of a sudden the TV popped up. But at least you got a sense mm. of how big the thing might be. Mm. And given that we're now stuck not going into a lot of shops, or maybe some people simply don't want to go into shops, um, it's super convenient, right? Mm. Yeah. And also the fact that you mentioned Curry's PC World did that. I, I used to work there for three years whilst I was at university and my best way to sell was to put people in front of it and be like, so how far do you sit from the the TV? And you kind of get them to pace it out and 
put them literally in the middle of a floor where you've got 400 odd TVs, put a couple there on a chair and you go, this is how it looks. And uh, about nine times out of 10, they used to come and bring it back because it was too big for the room. So yeah, which, uh, which wasn't good after you think you've just sold like a, a massive TV for, you know, going over a grand back in those days. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, um, it, it was, it's not, um, it was not ideal, but I think with people to do that, they have a bit more trust and, and obviously, you know, a bit more knowledge into what they're getting, um, which is great to be honest. Very, very good. I think the interesting point here though, right. That, that, that David makes in the interview is that realistically it's not so much about the equipment, but it's all about the content. Yeah. And because of the way that we are now separate or separated, I suppose, from our traditional means of buying um, and so on, there's going to be an explosion of interest from a business perspective in B2C communities around how AR and potentially as well VR can be used and that's going to push forward the agenda of content available. And the more stuff there is out there, the more it will be become democratized and normalized and all those other bits and pieces because other other creators will get into the marketplace, etc. Yeah. And I would imagine that actually lockdown and the pandemic is going to be a real catalyst moment for for a wider adoption and usage of these technologies that might see us end up in the scenario that we're pointed, we, we were pointing to at the end with Apple glasses and a move away from screens and a complete, a complete adoption of this as, as mainstream tech. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, and I think also customer acquisition or new customer acquisition. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, retailers or I'll talk about resell making this point, but I think a lot of them have maybe been carried through lockdown by a lot of brand loyalty um mm. you know if you're if you're after a particular thing you you'd go there or whatever but i think in order to get new customers i think a lot of retailers like you mentioned with the the televisions i can also imagine the same thing happening with furniture um which yeah. is again another massive thing you know and and people need to see how it looks and whatever i think a lot of retailers will then almost lean towards this bit of technology to help mm. with revenue to help with sales because it can also allow them to save on a hell of a lot of rent along a lot of salaries, um, you know, and if, if they were just to go down the online route and, and maybe plug a bit more money into using technology to their advantage, which is fantastic, I think. Obviously not great if you're looking for a job in retail or whatever, um, and we understand it's a bit of a tricky time, but I think as, as consumers, it just opens up a lot more um, kind of doors and options, which is great. And we mentioned education towards the end of the podcast, you know, um, a few weeks ago when, when Marla Morkin uh, was on the show as a, as a guest co-host, we were talking to Verti, uh, um, who are an organization, a health tech organization, who are using AR and VR as a teaching tool. So you can see that it's coming not just from, from the B2C piece, but also from B2B and educational perspective on there. So, you know, there's more and more players in this market. Mm. It stands to reason that we are going to get to a tipping point where, where, where we move away from it just being early adopters. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think we had IPsoft on as well, didn't we? Uh, a few mm. weeks ago with, is it Amelia, I think? Amelia, uh, yeah, yeah. As, a, as an AI tool. Yeah, and, and I think, yeah, similar things to that. It, it's great to see so many organisations just coming through with with stuff that's available. I mean, it's scary, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, for people like us who like technology, it's, it's great. But 
I imagine there will be some hesitance and kind of, you know, some uh, kind of just, you know, uh, awareness maybe or lack of awareness um, from other consumer groups. But I think the fact that we can use this technology is is great. Um, it's a yeah. balancing act, isn't it, between getting the tech right and yeah. understanding, obviously, if you can have a virtual appointment at the doctor's, for example, uh, and you find it difficult to access the doctor's surgery for whatever reason, or you're worried about getting coronavirus at the minute, that's a positive thing. Mm. But equally, you don't want it to be at the detriment of the fact that we just need more healthcare professionals. Mm. And tech, big tech in particular, um, gets rid, it would appear, of some jobs, but replaces it with lower task menial jobs in warehouses and in in data centers and whatever else mm. and actually begins to widen the gap between the haves and the haves not so it's, it's getting that balancing act right yeah. that between the obvious benefits for society yeah. versus too much power in the hands of too few tech organizations absolutely absolutely and, and i think just just still I, I think the human we've talked about it a million times on here but i think the human element is still very important um yeah and we can't miss that, especially when it comes to things like healthcare. You know, as far as good as technology is, there are still certain things. You know, doctors don't study for five to seven years for nothing, right? There are still certain yeah. things that are picked up in experience and what have you. So we can't rely on tech completely to give a diagnosis of something. But if we can yeah. use it to help keep the strain off the health service, and you know, for people to actually get the proper care that they need and attention, then there's nothing better than that. Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent agree. Which is um, which is great. However, AR like uh, AR like the Minority Report advertising, maybe that'd be quite cool. Anyway, right, David, thanks for being our guest. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about VR. Let's not let's not get into VAR, shall we? Or maybe we can <laughs> football season soon. Oh yeah, not too far. I mean, yeah, crazy, crazy. <laughs> it's almost back after it's just finished. Right. Anyway, um, Napster sold to London startup Melody VR in surprise seventy million dollar deal. The acquisition by the firm, which streams virtual reality gigs, will offer next generation service. So let me take you through this. It's in the Guardian. British music tech startup has struck a surprise seventy million dollar deal to buy Napster, one of the pioneers of music streaming uh, revolution. Melody VR, which films and streams gigs fans watch with virtual reality headsets is taking over Rapsy International, which operates as Napster and is owned by NASDAQ-listed Real Networks. AIM-listed Melody VR hopes to create a music platform combining Napster, which began life in the 90s as an illegal downloading platform, with immersive live performances. Napster has over 3 million users and has a library of 90 million licensed tracks. Would you think that this would take off in the current time is going to a gig more than just immersing yourself is it the whole experience of going and being with your friends and everything else i think so i, 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 was, I was thinking about this earlier i was like what's the best gig i've ever been to and it was a jay-z and kanye west concert and don't get me wrong the concert was was great the album that they kind of performed was was in my opinion one of the best but it was yeah it was just about the experience but i guess now where people have been deprived of live acts and 
music and theatre. You, you know, you could also take that into a, 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 some sort of a production or a play or, or you know, a show. Um, I think it would take off. I, I genuinely think it would take off. I think people would buy into it. Um, but I didn't know Is Napster it, was still worth that much money. I mean, it's been years since we heard about them, right? Um, yeah. I thought they were, I thought they were kind of, you know, yeah, non-existent, but blimey, 70 million, not bad. Is it, is it almost silly to ask the question about whether or not it's good or bad for music fans? Because there will be some music fans who will view this as good and some who will still want to go to live gigs if they can. But oh. it is good for artists who, frankly, at the moment, can't perform any concerts because it's not safe to do so. Oh. We're in this ridiculous situation where the government are telling musicals that they have to mime um in musicals on stage because singing is likely to uh, project the yeah. virus onto people perhaps. So at least, at least if they are doing a virtual VR mm. uh, performance, they are still able to perform to people in a way that allows them to, to, to apply their trade. Yeah, exactly. 100%. And I think a lot of people forget, you know, you hear about the, the big artists in the world, the Beyonce's, the Ed Sheeran's, the, you know, kind of Coldplay, all these sorts of people, but you don't actually, there's a whole load of of people that effectively at the moment are unemployed with no revenue coming in. And those are the ones that, you know, make a lot of money on live music and gigs. You know, we, we Mm -hmm. work, we work in the East end of London. All you have to do is take a walk into Shoreditch on a Friday evening and you see the amount of bands and live music acts that, you know, would perform. Um, whether it's a pub, bar, or, or you know one of the kind of independent venues, so I think for people and and bands and and artists like that, I think I think it's great um, because they definitely need our help. And when we're in a when we're in a pandemic and we're talking about kind of helping industries, helping people, helping um, you know kind of various uh, industries we also need to look after our kind of music industries because let's be honest, we all listen to a lot of music, whether it's a radio phone, you know, kind of even TikTok or, or Instagram, yeah. we always listen to music and these guys need to get paid as well. Um, so I think, yeah, I think something like that would be, would be good. But also what would be good is if, if, you know, they were helped by some of the, the big players. So those artists that I mentioned, if they were also on board and, you know, kind of. Made not, the technology affordable and, yeah, and acceptable yeah. to them. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, someone like Dr. Dre, rather than pumping all his kind of name and brand into some headphones, maybe if he pumped some, you know, kind of um, money into that and actually made it affordable for people, I reckon that'd be great. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think definitely watch this space with um, with this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And probably hastens the need for maybe Dr. Dre to get VR out rather than pump some money into supporting other. I bet that's what you're probably going to say. Beats VR. Brilliant. Probably, yeah. Um, Anyway. Right, Akish, thanks for joining me. Um, It's four o'clock. Don't know why he's still in the office. Surely in in these times, that's that's rush hour, right? That's Yeah, yeah. I I think... um, Home time. I'll be going home soon. I'll be going home soon. Um, But yeah, I do do like Bev's sofa. So Bev, if you're listening... uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind sitting here for the next few days when I come in. So it's well, mate, just book it. If she don't book it and you do. There you go. Snooze, you lose, Ben. Sorry about that. There we go. <laughs> right. Everyone else, have a lovely long weekend. <laughs>